So I wanted to start this morning by sharing a story. So I had the opportunity to go to Israel in 2005. Um, so I was a senior at Moody Bible Institute, and so I had the opportunity to take a trip to go to Israel. And so I was there for about two weeks. Um, we traveled around all the way up north and south in the country and just visited all the, the sites, uh, a lot of the sites from Scripture. And I, let me tell you that that has been one of the, the biggest highlights of my entire life, and even in my spiritual life, of the opportunity to stand in the places where Jesus stood and where all these Bible stories happened. I mean, I could think of remembering being in the valley where they think somewhere close by where David and Goliath, the fight, the fight happened there, and you can go down in the little riverbed and you can see like how the stones, like the size of the stones, that kind of stuff. I still remember those things. Um, but I also remember that I, we had a very interesting um, tour guide on this trip. So our tour guide uh, liked to share things with us that maybe she shouldn't have shared with us. And so I remember one part of the trip we were driving, and she's like, I just want you all to know that you cannot say anything that I'm about to tell you as we were driving by this one part when we were in Israel. And the thing that she wanted to show us is, is this is Israel's nuclear stockpile right over there. That's behind those fences. You see how it's all fenced up, and there's like drones? I mean, there would have been drones that, not that then, but there's planes flying around, making sure nobody could see it. And so she, she, she told us that that's where Israel's nuclear stockpile was. And I'm like, uh, Probably shouldn't be telling us that. It's probably not the best thing to be telling a bunch of Americans where your nuclear stockpile is. Uh, but she also, along with that showing us those things, she also showed us uh, and allowed us to stop for a couple hours around some of the shepherding that was going on, the, the sheep and, and some cows and some other things. That they were there, but there were some sheep and shepherds that she just really wanted us to see this. And so we spent a couple hours with a, a couple of shepherds, some gatekeepers, and just watching what they were doing. And, and I, I still can vividly remember the sights, the, the smells, which weren't great, and a lot of the other things from that day of just, just watching the, the, the shepherds do their work, how uh, the shepherd's in front, right? As he's leading his sheep along the way, he's not back here in the back and just kind of whipping them or doing something like that that you might do with a horse or something like that. He's in the front. He's leading them. He's guiding them as they go. He has a staff and he's leading them. And there, we didn't get to see this, but the shepherd told us through the translator about how when they would be at night especially, they, the shepherd will often lay his body down in, in the, the doorway of the gate into the shepherd. Because remember, there's, there's a sheep pen, right? They're, they're holding them in. They're guiding them into a sheep pen most of the time. They'll let them graze for a while, and then they put them back. So at night, uh, in order to not allow predators or people or other things to get in there, the shepherd will lay his body down even, to lay down in front of the gate so nothing can get there. And I just think of the vivid imagery that was. And I, I remember that the, one of our professors that was a Messianic Jew that was on that trip told the story that we're about to read while I was there. And so this passage is, I'm passionate about this passage because I can smell it and I can see it because of the fact of being there. And I, I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity to go to Israel someday, it would, it, it'll help you a lot in, in my spiritual growth. It didn't, it can yours. It is you see the sights and those things. And so today, we are going to look at two of the I am statements. So you probably talked about a few of those already uh, in your study with Eric and, and John. And so today, we're going to look at two different ones. And so if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 10, uh, we're going to be starting there in verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. 
you know, there's a, I've told you before, there's a lot of things I love about your pastor, but one of the things that I love about Eric the most is his willingness to do expository preaching where he, he preaches straight through books of the Bible. And that, that's something that's a very important to me. I actually even do that with my student ministry. We just finished the book of Colossians. We regularly study through books of the Bible because we need to keep our noses in here. And so I think it's really important. And I always love the opportunity when I come here to be able to just jump right in wherever the passage is because I just love studying and preaching through passages of Scripture. So here we are in John chapter 10. So looking back to John chapter 9, where Eric was last week, there, uh, there were some, just some interesting things that happened as the story of Jesus healing the blind man. Uh, that was the fifth of the seven signs, as Eric talked about, that John records in his gospel. And there was just two things I was specifically challenged by as I listened to Eric's sermon last week from John chapter 9. First was how he, he mentioned the idea of when we're suffering, like having that blindness that the man had, and when we deal with suffering in our life, he talked a lot about how uh, we often focus on the what instead of the who. And I thought that was just really powerful to think about that. When we're suffering, that we often think about what's happening to us and not the who that could help us and be with us there and heal us and do those things. So the what instead of the who is often something we focus on and we shouldn't do that. And then... Uh, he also challenged us last week about the fact that we can have confidence as Christians as we grow in his knowledge. Not all of us are at this place where we know everything, and, and in fact, all of us don't know everything, right? We don't know everything in the Bible. We don't know everything about who Jesus is, but he reminded us of what? We could continue to grow in our knowledge and be, still be able to say that I was blind, but now I see. That, that, that is powerful things to think about, about the who of our, that we deal with in our suffering, but also the fact that we can say, I was blind, but now I see. And that leads us into today's passage in John chapter 10. So if you would read along with me, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to move forward uh, through verse 10 here at the beginning. John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, them, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you see here, we see very clearly that he is using this metaphor this morning of the idea of the door, the sheep pen, the shepherd. This is a, uh, a metaphor that for us, maybe not always will it be easy for us to understand because we don't visibly see this every day. But the people in Israel at this time would clearly understand if they had ears to hear, they would hear it. They would understand what is the point that he is trying to make. So he says there in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And I think this harkens back to chapter, at the end of chapter 9, where the, the religious leaders ask Jesus, do you think that we are blind? 
And so Jesus is telling them here, I don't know if they're listening and they're probably blinded and not understanding what he's saying, but he's telling them that he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So in this shepherd metaphor, we understand that if a person tries to go any other way but then through the sheep door, he is a thief and he is a robber. He is in the wrong. He is not trying to do something that is good. He's not on the right path, that person. It says in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, right? Because the person that is coming through the door, the right place, is the shepherd. That person is the one that the voice of the, the sheep can hear. He's the one that is supposed to be there, and he's on the right path and doing the right thing. And so what we see here is that the shepherd would protect his flock by, only by entering through that door. So if somebody tries to climb over the wall or try to get over the fence or do something else, he's a thief or a robber. He's in, he's, in, he's in the wrong. He is not trying to protect the sheep. He's trying to do something wrong to them. Jesus here is about to show them that his way and his teaching is the only way as the true shepherd. That is the point that he is trying to make here. It says there in verse 3, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I want you to think about, uh, so I, I just am at the end of reading this very long biography about the life of Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass, you know him, he was the, one of the African Americans that really fought hard to end slavery in this country. He kind of worked with Abraham Lincoln and some others to be a part of that. So not long after the Emancipation Proclamation was written, Frederick Douglass goes to meet with Abraham Lincoln. But you know, there's still racism going on. There's still struggle going on. And so what's happening is, is he enters into the White House. People are calling him names. People are trying to make him stay outside. They don't want him to come in there. They don't want him to be a part of it. But lo and behold, Abraham Lincoln walks down the hall. And you remember what people say about his booming voice. You couldn't miss it. They, they heard his voice. And Abraham Lincoln says, Frederick Douglass, my friend, come here. They hear his voice. They hear it clearly that Frederick Douglass is Abraham Lincoln's friend and he is welcome here. They hear his voice. And you know what? All of a sudden, all the nasty comments stopped. All of a sudden, everybody parted the way so Frederick Douglass could go to meet with Abraham Lincoln. And I think about that for us. The voice, the voice of the shepherd. When the sheep hear that voice, what do they know? They know that their shepherd's there. They know that they can listen. They know they can trust that voice. I even think about in my own home, like my wife talks about how our youngest, Macy, she's a daddy's girl very much, but when she knows what I'm around. She has a daddy radar, and especially she knows my voice. So, so when she hears my voice, she knows daddy's around, and she comes running, and she wants a hug. She wants to spend time with me. She knows. She hears my voice. And also, if I ask her to do something, if, something's, if she, there, she's in danger or peril or thinks she hears my voice, she listens, she hears. That's what we're saying here, is that the shepherd is the voice that the sheep hear. The voice of the shepherd is the one the sheep hear. In verse 4, when he had brought, when he, where he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And again, we understand that Jesus over and over and over again tells these things 
And what does he say when he tells a lot of these parables? Let him who has ears hear. Because a lot of these people, especially if he's speaking directly to the religious leaders here, they're blinded. Their ears are closed. They can't hear. They can't understand what he's saying. But I want us to clearly understand what he is telling us this morning. And that is that the legitimate shepherd enters through the door just as Jesus did. And those sheep that are in there, when the shepherd enters, they hear his voice. And what is the metaphor speaking to? It's speaking to Jesus as the shepherd. We'll get to that in a little bit about him being the good shepherd, but Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one that we must enter. He's the one that we must follow. We must hear his voice. So how do we hear his voice? We spend time in relationship with him. We get in communion. We talk with him. How else do we do it? We read his word. His word tells us. We follow his word. And we have the Holy Spirit. If we are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and guides us and leads us, and we must hear that voice. When we know we're in sin, we need to stop. When we know that God's calling us to do something, we need to follow through. We need to listen to the shepherd, Jesus' voice. Follow, follow along with me as we go into verse 7 there. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I give a came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want us to understand that Jesus is the only way. That is, that is what he's telling us this morning. As the good shepherd, as we'll talk about it, but he also wants to understand this I am statement, that I am the door. Remember, any other way that, that anybody tries to get in that sheep pen, he is a thief, he is a robber. And that includes the religious leaders that are trying to tell these people, do good works, follow all these traditions, do all these things, and you can get to God. He's telling them, no, that's, you're a thief or robber if you try that path. That isn't going to get you anywhere. That's going to lead you away from God. You must enter through this door, which is me. And that is the thing that's powerful about this, right? That he's not just saying that, enter through this door and you'll get to me. No, he's saying, I am the door. I am the door. I think about when I went to visit the Ark Encounter a few years ago, that they have this awesome exhibit there that talks about the motif of, of doors in Scripture. And the one specifically that it talks about there the most, right, is the door of Noah's Ark, right? That door that was the only way, if you en didn't enter that door, those two-by-two two animals and Noah's family, they don't enter that door, what happened? Judgment, death, right? They're done. The only way to salvation, the only way they were going to be saved is by going through that door of the ark. And you, you'll see it in other places in Scripture, this motif of this idea of, of door. So there's all kinds of different doors that we could talk about, but what Jesus is saying is, is that he is the door. We must enter through him in order to receive salvation. So our works will not get us to, to, to heaven. Other religions will not get us to heaven. The only way that we can have salvation and get to heaven and be with, be with God forever is through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his life for us that he laid down. He is the only way we can receive salvation, and we must enter through the sheepfold of God's keeping. We must have faith and believe that Jesus is the only way. Any other way, we are like thief and robbers, and we will be separated from God forever. So I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord this morning. 
If you have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, let me call you to the fact that Jesus is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life that we will talk, that Eric will talk about in John 14 in the weeks to come. He is the only way to salvation. His door is the only path. This isn't like the price is right where there's all these doors and you can pick one and you get a prize, right? This one works, this one works. It just might be a smaller prize, but this one will work. No, one door, that's it. One way. It's the salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. And what a powerful statement of comfort this should be to us. It might feel to, like tense, like we're saying, only one way, but that is what Jesus says. Jesus tells us this. That's the point he's trying to make here, that he is the door. So we must stand on that. And we should take joy in it and comfort and hope in the fact that we have a way to have our sin reconciled, grace to be given. Our sins are many, but his grace is more. And so we must receive that. That is the only way to salvation this morning. Let us not fall into the trap of the religious leaders that felt like they had the right understanding, felt like they weren't the ones that were blinded, even though they were. Let us enter into God's family through the only door that we can. We cannot be saved in any other way. As we transition to talking about Jesus is the good shepherd. I want to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I think helps us talk about the door and, and the idea of good shepherd. Charles Spurgeon says, Jesus, the good shepherd, will not travel at such a rate as to overdrive the lambs. He has tender consideration for the poor and the needy. Kings usually look to the interests of the great and the rich, but the kingdom of our great shepherd, he cares for most for the poor. The weaklings and the sickly of the flock are the special objects of the Savior's care. You think, dear heart, that you are forgotten because of your nothingness and weakness and poverty. This is the very reason you are remembered. We are known and loved by our Savior. He knows everything that we've done, but he still wants to give us grace. He still wants a relationship with us. He wants us to walk through that door through faith in relationship with him. He is the door. Maybe some of you have heard the story of Des Private Desmond Doss. Anybody heard that story before about him? So he was a, a soldier in World War II. And Desmond Doss grew up in a, a rough home, uh, difficult things going on, uh, kind of a weakling at times. His brother was a little stronger than him. He kind of struggled with life. Uh, but he decided to join when World War II came about. But he had a problem in the fact that he was a conscientious objector. He just didn't really believe in, in using a gun or shooting anyone. And so he joined this, this battle without doing that. He decided he wanted to be a medic. Uh, he would just protect people and help people. He got made fun of. He got beat up. He got tre treated poorly, talked about poorly, and nobody trusted him because he was one of the few people not carrying a weapon in World War II. But then came the famous battle of Hacksaw Ridge. In the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge, there was death everywhere. It was one of the worst battles in the history of the world. So many Japanese and so many Americans and British and other people died. It was, it was a gigantic like hill that people were having to come, climb up and down to get to the top of the ridge where this battle was happening. This is where Private Desmond Doss laid down his life to save many. He brought 
at one point, they said the battle was over and they were just going to leave all their dead up the ridge. They weren't even going to try because they didn't want to have to try to lose more men to try to get them. Desmond Doss stayed behind. He lowered with his rope. They don't even know how many men, but he saved hundreds probably of men that, that, over that 24-hour period where he was just dropping people, leaving people, and he survived. It's unbelievable, but he laid his life down. One of the most powerful stories I've ever heard of somebody laying down their life. They, and they didn't die, he didn't die, but he laid down his life. He could have easily been killed, and he almost was a few times as he fought during that battle of Hacksaw Ridge. But Private Desmond Doss is a reminder of someone who would lay down their life, that he gave everything. Even though he didn't carry a gun, even though he was treated so poorly, he saved so many of those men during that 24-hour time period during the battle of Hacksaw Ridge. And I think that battle, and, and Private Desmond Doss reminds us of what a real leader is, who, what a real shepherd is. A real leader and shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and that's who Jesus is. So let's read further on in the passage so we can read about that. Verse 11 of chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I have laid it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So again, we've, we've talked about the third I am statement, I am the door, and here's the fourth one, which is the idea of I am the good shepherd. And one of the things I want us to understand about these I am statements, and Eric might have mentioned this already, is that with the I am statements, Jesus isn't just saying he is even a representation of these things. He's saying, I am these things. If you want the perfect idea of what a shepherd is, look at me. The light of the world, I am the way, the truth, life. All of these I am statements, he is saying, I am the perfect idea of this. I am the good shepherd. So if you want to understand who is a good shepherd, Jesus is the answer. He is the perfect example of this. He says here in this passage, there, as I was reading in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his, down his life for the sheep. That's what makes it so unique to be a follower of Jesus. That all other religions, all other beliefs, the gods are so far above everybody, they wouldn't even think about coming down this earth. They wouldn't even think about laying down their life for the sheep. But Jesus does. Jesus, at, it says at the end of what I read, that he doesn't just do it, he does it out of his own accord. He does it in obedience to God the Father, but he does it out of his own accord. He laid down his life for us. We didn't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But Jesus did it for us. He is the good shepherd. I also see there in that passage the idea of the protector shepherd. So he says a hired hand, the person that's not the shepherd, if he saw a wolf coming to try to take down or to, to take away one of the sheep, what is the hired hand going to do? The hired hand's going to run away or he's going to not care. He's not going to deal with it because he, does, he doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't have the relationship with them. He doesn't care about it. He's going to save his own hide, right? He's not even going to try. 
But what is the shepherd going to do? The shepherd's going to protect the sheep. He's not like the hired hand. He does care for the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and they, he will protect at all costs the sheep that are a part of his flock. And that is the same for us as Christians. Jesus is not driven by fear. He is a shepherd that is intimately wanting a relationship with us. Let us take joy, brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, that we have a good shepherd that intimately loves us, cares for us, wants a relationship with us, and will protect us at all costs. Cost of his own life. He will protect us. That, that, that should bring such joy to our hearts. Why, why do we not go around all of our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and scream this from the rooftops that Jesus loves us this much. Nobody in this world can love you more than Jesus can love you. He, is, he just cares about you. He loves you that much. I love the idea of the ownership that Jesus has as the shepherd, that he has purchased redemption for us because we received that death and resurrection of Jesus, we now have have our redemption purchased. We are no longer our own. I think of the passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where he's talking about uh, getting rid of sexual sin and other sins in our life, and he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Because we have been purchased, we have been redeemed, we should take joy and be so thankful for the protector, loving, sacrificial shepherd that we have. I think of the idea from the Christian hip-hop group called 116. They did a song that was called, that was called 116. It comes from Romans 116. And in that song, Andy Minio says, when you hear the story about the hero dying for the villain, that's, that's the sacrificial shepherd that we have, that we have Jesus, the greatest Man, God, man, that's ever, anybody that ever has been, is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He laid his life down for us. The fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, voluntarily laid down his life for his sheep. And then there, you see there in the passage, in verse, uh, looking at verse 15, starting 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says in verse 16, and this is interesting, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. What do you think he might be referring to there? I, I think what we think from scholars, think, or what he's talking about here, is clear that he's talking about Gentile believers being grafted in. That Gentile believers are the ones that ha will hear his voice and be a part of the one flock, the one shepherd in Jesus. And so that's what, he's, that's what he's discussing here is that he refers to the Gentile believers as he talks about the other sheep that are not in the fold yet. So they'll be grafted in. That's who we are, and we become part of that one sheepfold through Jesus. That is the mystery of Christ that Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 3, that the Gentile believers, us, here in this room, I think everybody in here will probably be included in that, that we we're all part of Jesus' kingdom as, as, as if we have faith in him. And so this, that's what he's talking about there in verse 16. And then verse 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The Father, God the Father, is pleased with the work that Jesus has done by laying down his life, being obedient to the work of the, the calling of the Father. In verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what we see here in this passage clearly is Jesus is a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that we must follow. There's many other ways and things that are going to pull us and distract us, but we must keep our eyes narrowly set on Jesus as the good shepherd. No other religion, no other work or anything will lead us to the compassion and grace that we can receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our protector. He has sacrificed everything by laying down his life for us. And I love this John Piper quote. He says, Jesus will always be our shepherd, and we will always get the incomparable joy of being his sheep. Isn't that powerful? Good reminder to us of the fact that Jesus will always be our shepherd, and we always will have that incomparable joy of being his sheep. There's nothing better than having Jesus as Savior and as our Lord and guide as we are navigating this difficult life. So let us with joy receive Jesus as Lord today, lay down our lives at his feet as the shepherd leads us his sheep. The shepherd leads us as his sheep. And so I don't know, again, where you're at tonight, this, tonight, this morning. I'm still talking with students. I'd say tonight so much. But this morning, uh, I don't know where you're at with your relationship with the Lord. But if you have not received Jesus as Lord and Shepherd, please talk to somebody in this room, including Eric or myself even after the service, because we desire for every person to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, because nothing else compares to that, and we all need it. Eternally, we need Jesus as Lord and Savior. The last part of this passage, um, I think, helps us to harken back again to chapter 9, when they were having the division about who is this Jesus guy? He's healing, healing people. He's teaching these difficult, weird th- parables and things. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And I don't think it's much different to the culture we live in today, right? That people are always asking, who is this Jesus guy? You, I, I, I was at the barber early, yesterday, and the, my, the lady that was cutting my hair was asking what I did for a job, and she asked me, who is do you really believe in that Jesus guy? I mean, that's the, basically what she said to me. Do you really believe in that Jesus guy? Because people want to know. They're here. They, they hear about him. They know people are Christians around them. So who is this Jesus guy? Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral leader? Some people even think he's like a bigot or something that needs to be rejected because his teachings are so antiquated and not needed anymore. So people have all kinds of different views about who Jesus is. So let's read along here to finish this passage with me and see where these people land after what they hear Jesus teach. He said, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can demon open the eyes of the blind? Going back to the chapter 9 of seeing what Jesus had done. So again, there's another back and forth division argument going on. After hearing what, seeing what Jesus did in chapter 9 by healing the blind man, after teaching about being the good shepherd in the door, there's this argument going on. And I think that's the same again, like in the world we live in today. And that's why we must be clear, as can be, about who Jesus is. Through our words, through our choices, through our decisions, the things that we say, we must be clear about who Jesus is. Because there is a lack of clarity, and Jesus may be using us through the Holy Spirit to lead people towards a better understanding of who Jesus is. And so we must be clear. 
we must have conviction about who Jesus is. We must be very clear about it. So the question is, the question that is asked here. Why should we listen to him? He has a demon, is insane. And then the other ones, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? Those are two really good questions. Why should we listen to him? And we just heard in the passage, why should we listen to him? Because he is the door. He is the only way to salvation. We should listen to him because he is the good shepherd. He loves us even though he knows all about who we are, what we've done, what we are doing, how we are sinning and living in sin. He still loves us. He still shows us grace. He still walks with us as the good shepherd. So it's important for us to understand that they saw him as something that he was not. Because what does it say there? What did he say that he came to do, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the demon, right? That's, that's a person that's a demon, the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But what does it say? I came that we may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus came to do. He is no demon. That's why we should listen to him. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He's the only way to salvation. That's why we should listen to him. And the others asked a good question too. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's true too, right? A demon cannot do that, and a demon wouldn't, wouldn't come to do that, right? A demon's not going to come and try to bring sight and life to anything. They're bringing death and destruction and putting more suffering and more pain. But Jesus came to bring life and bring it abundantly. He came to bring spiritual life abundantly. And so we must stand on him as Lord and Savior, as the one who is the Savior and Shepherd that we must follow. And so, again, we see here in this passage clearly that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the door. But still, people didn't believe. Still, people struggled with it. Still, people were divided about who Jesus was. So, this morning, be clear in your life and your words, your relationships with every part of your life. Be clear about who Jesus is because people need to know. People need to hear it. Don't be afraid to share clearly about who Jesus is. We don't do it judgmentally. We don't do it with anger and vitriol. We do it with love and grace and care. But we must be clear about who Jesus is. So that means you need to relate to him often, you need to read his word often, you need to pray often, you need to be fellowshiping with other believers often so you can keep that idea of who Jesus is in your life over and over and hear it over and over again. So again, we live in a world today that is so divided about who Jesus is. Many continue to reject him. The religious leaders here thought they were the true shepherds, but their sight was blinded. And the truth is, is that many times we blind ourselves by our own sin and our own struggle and our own rejection of the things of who Jesus is. So let us pull all that aside, let's put all that away, and let's move towards following Jesus as our way to salvation and also as our good shepherd that guides us in this difficult life that we live. Let him navigate your life as the good shepherd. Are you ready this morning to surrender your life to Jesus? If you have not started a relationship with him, are you ready to surrender and lay your down your life 
And even if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, are you willing to, to make him more Lord of your life where he is guiding you and shepherding you and leading you in all the things that you're doing? Because Jesus will guide us to green pastures, strong relationships, and opportunities to make his glory known. So let us hear his voice this morning because his is the voice that we need to hear day after day after day. Would you pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning to, to, to look at your word, to study it, to understand what it is that you want us to know. So Lord, I pray if there's anything that was unclear that I said that you will have that set aside from the ears and the hearts of the people today and they will hear what your word needed to speak to them. Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us, that you want an intimate relationship with us. We don't deserve it and we cannot earn it, but you want to have that relationship with us. So Lord, I just pray that every person in this room will not hear this message today, wherever they're at with their relationship with you, that they will not take this message and let it go in one ear and out the other and leave today without allowing it to sink into their hearts, to sink into their choices and lives and things that they do. And Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to be clear in our entire lives as people see us in our communities, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, within our families, that people will see that we clearly understand who you are and we clearly understand that everybody needs to hear you, your name, and hear your voice. Lord, I desire for every person in this room to hear your voice and be guided by it. Lord, be our good shepherd as you promise. And, and Lord, thank you for being the door to salvation, the only path that we can have to have our sins forgiven and have eternal life. And Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study your word like we did this morning. I pray that we will take these things to heart, put them into practice in our life, and that we will hear your voice as the good shepherd. We pray this in your great and gracious name. Amen.